Thirty years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons? Our guest this week is Abigail Gorman. Abigail began her career after Darden in management consulting before switching gears and moving into the nonprofit world in 2002. Since that career shift, Abigail has held senior executive roles at the American Dental Education Association and most recently at the American Institute of Architects. Abigail spoke candidly about her decision to leave the for-profit world in search of a better work-life balance as a working mom. She explained that nonprofits often cannot compete with for-profit companies in financial compensation, but make up for it in many non-financial ways that lead to a meaningful and rewarding career. Abigail shared with us an important lesson as a leader in realizing that it's not about you. Rather, it's about understanding and listening to those on your team in an effort to provide inspiration, direction, and support in helping achieve the organization's goals. To this point, Abigail shared that she has a personal reminder on her desk to stop talking and listen. Abigail is currently taking some time off for herself and her family. She spoke to the importance of taking a career pause from time to time to reground yourself and reflect upon what is most important in your next role. While enjoying her current break, she's looking forward to her next step as the CEO of a nonprofit organization in the coming years. I hope you enjoy today's moving and heartfelt conversation. Please join me in welcoming Abigail Gorman. Okay, hi everybody. We are so happy to have um, Abigail Warnicke join us today on our podcast. Um, Abigail, uh, you know, I'm always thrilled to hear you and hear from you and see you. So today, as we embark on um, this podcast, um, a podcast that explores um, our various journeys in our class um, as Darden graduates, we would love to hear your story. And um, we usually like to open it up by um, kind of starting it with the if you could talk to yourself um, uh, 10 years uh, prior, is it prior, right? Like years, have a beer with your younger self. Um, what would you kind of tell her? Um, what were some lessons learned on your journey? It is, thank you, Joanna. It's so great to be with you. Um, it's so great to be with all of you. And uh, this is just, this is, what a gift uh you know are you all the geniuses behind this idea because we're at that moment in our life where really thinking about you're all really thinking about what has been meaningful and uh playing it forward is uh really important i think and so y'all are the best and i'm really grateful to be here and i'm glad i didn't have much notice because um, so I didn't have to worry about it. Um, I listened to a little bit and uh, I'm going to go back and listen to our classmates. Um, uh, and I think the, um, 
the first thing that I would say is what a great decision, Abigail, that you made to go get an MBA and go to Darden. I mean, you know, first of all, kudos for, you know, uh, the fact that we had that experience together. I think it was a great choice as I reflect back. I've had a non career in nonprofit association world um, sprinkled early on with consulting and uh, the business degree and the education and the critical thinking skills and the pedagogy at Darden and the brand. I mean, we've been really lucky. Boy, that the rankings of the school have really <laughs> <laughs> Talk about evergreen investment. Um, and I know it's uh, it has made a difference in, uh, you know, having that on my resume and having those experiences. So that was a great decision. That was it has really been affirmed. So I feel really uh lucky about that and because they were certainly what you know in the first hundred days the first hundred cases were we sure i'm not sure we were sure <laughs> yes right <laughs> uh but it was a you know it has um it has proven to be one of the best choices and investments i've made certainly from a career standpoint uh, and and i you know in the world in which we live today uh, you know, and thinking about and reflecting on what I would say to my younger self, I think one of the, um, and I'll certainly happy to sort of tell my story about uh, my own career. Uh, but the first thing I thought about was, um, it's not about you. Is I tell myself, it's just, it's not about you. Uh, it's about everybody else in your organization or in your life and if you and to think that way so that you can help them and so you can and listen deeply uh listen as deeply as you can uh focus on inspiring people and empowering them and uh so i i think that would be the lessons that i've learned have been about that the more that you focus on others, the what they give back to you comes back, you know, six times over that all those times that I felt my responsibility DNA kicked in too much, you know, took on too much, felt like I had to have all the answers, had to have be ready for the cold call, be ready with all the answers as a leader, be ready or as a manager, be ready with to look smart, have the right answers. And I think uh, uh, certainly as a woman, I felt felt that way, but I know that everyone feels that way, that uh, you gotta be smart, you gotta have all the answers. And I think uh, what I would say is, uh, don't try to have all the answers, try to be in relationship with the people that are you're gonna work together and listen to the people around you for uh, what the answers are in terms of solving the problems. And uh, it is about um, telling people, it is finding that balance. It's telling people how you feel about them and finding the balance with holding people accountable to achieve the results organizations are looking to achieve. And I think if we've learned anything uh, from the uh, pandemic, I think, um, 
I think I, you know, Joanna, you're pro you might do a better job of helping me remember this, but we were having conversations in organizational behavior and HR conversations. And we were trying to talk to our and say, it's about people and how you treat them. It isn't about the spreadsheet. And I think that is proven to be true. You got to be able to do the spreadsheet. You got to be able to have the technical skills. But I think in the world turned upside down from the pandemic, organizational leaders have had to understand how to be flexible um, and um, give people what they need in order to accomplish um, the organization goals. I mean, you know, uh, we worked really, really hard to create a culture of belonging and inclusivity and let people work when they needed to. I mean, who knew we were going to have employees with kids working at their kitchen tables or employees who didn't want to turn on their cameras um, at home. We went all remote who were uncomfortable having their home on camera. And, you know, we uh, thinking about how you uh, treat people, how you enable them to do their best, um, engage them in the work of the organization. Uh, and I think we trusted in our staff at the AIA and um, they worked incredibly hard to deliver resources to architects. We have not, we had, um, I, I was the chief of staff and chief operating officer at the American Institute of Architects uh, uh, throughout the whole pandemic. And architects, you know, the work went off a cliff. Uh, architects were worried about, um, they're very sensitive. Doug, you know this, it's very sensitive to the economy. Uh, you know, 120,000 architects in the country and there was, you know, 20,000 were unemployed within a couple of weeks. Um, it has come back. Uh, which is great, you know, now we know a whole different story, but our staff rallied and worked with our members to develop resources uh, to save their firms and help protect the public in terms of uh, uh, renovating spaces and understanding how the uh, virus was affecting public spaces. So um, I'll, I'll just take a pause there, but I think that's the one thing in my life that it's that, um, even as you're focused on developing your own skills and trying to take care of yourself, but, um, thinking about it in such a way, it's, it's just, it's not about you. It's about everybody else. So, so what would you tell your younger self about the juggling part, you know, the marriage? The kids, uh, the well, aging parents, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> the, the brother, the sister, the whatever, like all that. Yeah, I am. Um, I remember um, even before Darden, um, a, a family friend. I was at a friend's uh, wedding. I mean, I was early early twenties. And she said, because I was headed off, I think I was headed off to business school. And she said, Abigail, you can't have it all. You can't have a career. You can't have a, a, a successful marriage and kids. She was sort of warning me, like, I remember I was standing in her driveway. It was the day after the wedding. And this was, she was, she's my mother's generation. And I, I just, I thought, I, I refuse to accept that that's, I refuse to accept that. 
Um, uh, I also know now how hard it is. <laughs> uh, and I feel incredibly lucky in the life of privilege that I have lived. I have, um, uh, Patrick and I are, will be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in the fall. Congratulations. That's, that's, great. Like, that's like, that's like worth more than an MBA, man. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, marry someone you're deeply in love with and love to spend time with. That's, that's Amen. the answer. And, you know, kids, okay. They, you know, I love, adore my children. Um, I have two great kids, um, Michael and William, uh, in their twenties. Uh, so what I would say to myself, having had someone say, you can't, who was important to me, this woman I grew up with, I went to the prom with her son, you know, that kind of person in your life. Um, she, I, someone that had a lot of credibility and anyway, um, I would say it's not really about work-life balance because that implies, I hate that phrase. I mean, we use it all the time, but yeah. I don't like that phrase because it means that those two things are equal. Um, and uh, or need to be equalized, but really because balance implies that you've, you're on, uh, what is that, that seesaw, and there's one point where you can find that place and you're gonna grit and like hold it. And, and I think um, life is hard. Um, you're gonna do some things well and other things kind of shitty. That there's the uh, thing you're gonna need to edit out. There's sometimes you're gonna do things well, and sometimes you're gonna be good in your partnership with your spouse. And sometimes you're not, sometimes you're gonna be a decent parent. Uh, sometimes I used to, I joked still to this day with Pat, I'm like, today's a B day. You know, I'm gonna put in a, you know, not an A effort at work. It's just gonna be a, <laughs> um, but I prefer the term resilience. I mm -hmm. think it's about, uh, uh self-awareness and resilience and uh coming back from challenges yep uh and 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 so that that would be part of it that's part thank, of an answer to your question you. you know it's interesting that resonates because a mentor of mine um also said something similar now she was kind of a ahead of her time um Michaela Walsh I was thinking about her today as and I was she was she was a woman we brought in she was our keynote speaker when we did our big conference at Darden and she said Joanna you can have it all you just can't have it all at the same time yeah. <laughs> and she was for her generation when she was on Wall Street they thought she was serving the boys coffee right mm -hmm. She was, no, she was a major analyst. So um, she said, and also you may need to really seriously factor in early on if you want to have kids. I didn't. And that's, that's like, that was just where she was coming, coming yeah. into it. There reaches a point and a timeline. So that really resonated with me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, she was really special. I, yeah. remember, I remember the moment, Joanna, that you and she, we were at, uh, the, during the middle of the conference 
and uh, you and Michaela gave me some great advice about public speaking and what are you going to say? And I was like, you know, we were about to embark on the conference kicking off and the two of you um, really helped me in that moment too. So it was about um, helping each other. And uh, so that was really special. Easy, you do the same. Hey, I got a question. I got a question, you know, for you two, uh, you know, that have had to, you know, probably contend with a lot more in the, in the, you know, juggling of the careers and the raising of the kids and, and in the marriage and all that, you know, maybe more so than, you know, a lot of guys, um, what, uh, what has changed in your, you know, in, in your opinion, you know, from, uh, you know, having a career today as a woman, um, you know, versus, you know, 25, 30 years ago, whenever we were, you know, coming out of Darden, do you think things have improved in any way? Do you think uh, companies are better at understanding this? Do you think, you know, husbands are more helpful than they once were maybe in our dad's generation? Or do you think it's pretty much just like the same as it was in 94? Mm, I'll let you take that one out again. <laughs> well, always going to be hopeful. I mean, I, and yes, I think it's better. I mean, I, um, uh, I think, um, uh, you know, one, I am, and I can only, I can speak personally too. I am incredibly fortunate to have a spouse that's uh, super supportive and you do it together. You know, you raise the kids together and, um, uh, you know, he worked from home a lot earlier than, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the relationship that he has with our kids, uh, is really special. Um, and I think, uh, so, um has it gotten better i sure as hell hope it's gotten better i mean it's had to have gotten better and i think um one of the again one of the things that um you know it sort of feels like at least for me in managing an organization and leading an organization that there was before the pandemic and there now there is this new normal and i think that what we have learned is that um there are different ways of working in different uh, kinds of places. And, you know, I never thought I could work from home. I thought as an executive, I always had to be in the office with the team. And uh, I wish I'd spent a little bit more time at home because now we know we can. And of course, you have to come together for relationship building and strategy and collaboration and all of that. Uh, but I think some of that, um, it has been incredibly hard on families through the pandemic. And I only hope that some of the things that we've learned have will make it easier on the people who are the primary caregivers that um, I think it has also shown the systems in our country about child care are um, all and health care are all employer based. And I um, so I think it's I think things can be pretty um, I think we've gotten to be more innovative, which I think is a really good thing for women. Mm -hmm. And and certainly, you know, I've lived my most of my career. I was in consulting briefly after after business school, but I've lived my career in the nonprofit association space, and it is a great career for women. Um, 
I think you have more, and I think more women um, find themselves attracted to it and do really well. And uh, so I can, it's easier for me to speak to that than knowing more about, you all might be able to say more about what the private sector is. We, I would say that, um, at AIA, we had a we divested a software business and um, had a um, engaged with private equity and had the largest financial transaction in the 140 year history of the association. That's really established an innovation fund and um, and I worked really hard to insist that, that there were women on our um, among our banking team. Mm -hmm. And I have to say the private equity groups and the um, that were um, uh, bidding on the were awfully, awfully white and awfully male. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, uh, you know, that's a recent experience. I think it's changing. We said we demanded that they be, have bring diverse teams. Um, and as part of our culture from our association in terms of our focus on uh, diversity and sustainability. So I think we've got a long ways to go. I think the statistics show we've got a long ways to go, but we've certainly also come a long way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's Thank good. You. I hope so. I do think we have a long way to go. It took us watching a man get strangled yeah. on TV. And it took women in Hollywood coming out and admitting about the sexual harassment that was happening. Um, and it was because they were movie stars and starlets that they got the press and publicity about the harassment that also goes on. So I think we have a long way to go. Um, it is the l biggest dip in women being unemployed. Mm -hmm. um, in almost 35 years and they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. So I think that we as really skilled people, that would be my only thing, need to be aware of that and very conscious of it. So I'm optimistic, but I am also like grounded in a bit of reality. So I'm also blessed and privileged around many of those things. So, but thank you, Abigail. And I think we all have, we also, um, we and our mm -hmm. classmates have an awful lot of influence and power that we can exert mm -hmm. and make a difference. And I think, um, you know, helping, helping to make the systems um, less biased, more fair. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and it's hard too. I think it's, um, you got to get out of your own way, I think. Absolutely. Well. What do you so mean I know by that? that? I, I bet you, yeah, sorry, sorry, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, what do you mean by that? You have to get out of your own way. Well, I think um, uh, being courageous, um, not worrying about what other people um, think, mm -hmm. speaking to power, and also realizing when you're in power um, uh, that you listen to people who don't and actually make some changes. I think, um, you know, we can be our own, you know, tone down, you know, one of the things I would say to myself in that regard um, 30 years ago is, is work harder earlier at toning down the critic in my head, you know, the, oh, yeah. yeah. 
Right. Yeah, that sounds familiar. You know. Oh, so you're self-editing yourself, you know, all the time. Yeah. 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 Right. Holding yourself back. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I did um, after um, George Floyd was murdered and through the pandemic was, um, it sounds cliche, but it was the meeting with staff in small groups and listening to their experience working in the organization. And I did that because of a crisis in the country and because of the pandemic and because it was um, because, well, because it was the right thing to do to hear about the experience um, that uh, black employees were ha were experiencing working in the organization, but any employee was, was having. And I'm not sure that um, in my previous organization or 10 years ago, uh, you have the, I would have had the guts to, to do that. You know, you sort of, as a leader, you have to put yourself out. You have to be incredibly vulnerable, I think, is the, is you really have to put yourself out there um, and not talk and listen. Um, you know, I have a little note card on my monitor that says, stop talking. <laughs> That's good. That's so good. Listening to what other people's experiences are. So. Do you think that that, that environment has persisted I, my my sense is that there was a uh, there was a time frame for however for however long um a few months um after the george floyd thing where the conversation started to happen um but as it faded i'm not you know i'm not sure if it's still as <clears throat> uh as open to talk to or people are talking about it. I mean, I think that people kind of just had to work through that shit show um, and understand it. And, 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 and it, it, you know, it, it, we, we couldn't not talk about it anymore. It's like, we've just been kicking this can down the road forever um, in organizations. And now we kind of, we had to address it. And I, I wonder if that's still the case and you know, how much, yeah, anyway. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> I mean, it's the right question. I mean, I think um, organizations, we, we as leaders, people in positions of power and influence in organizations need to make sure that that conversation and the work um, continues. Um, because it is um, our because if we aren't talking about um, how we how uh, people work together and the environment for all for all marginalized people uh, and if they can't bring their gifts um, and their talents and their skills um, and if they're on the team then um, if they can't be who they are and don't feel like the organization or the company or the business allows them to be who they are and they experience bias or racism or uh in the organization then um well morally i think it's uh, you know i think we have a responsibility but i also think that we're you're um you're losing value and i think that i mean not that you do this for that reason i think it's the right thing to do 
Um, but I think we have to uh, stay in the conversation. I think, Tom, you're asking the right question because you have, if, if the conversation has faded away, then what are you talking about? You just don't like being uncomfortable. Right. I think it's about being comfortable in being extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, hopefully, you know, I know there's been some progress, at least from what I've read with, you know, with Fortune 500 mm -hmm. boards of directors where we're, we're getting, you know, a more diverse board. Um, I don't know to what extent that trickles down to smaller organizations, you know, probably not so much because they're not into, you know, spotlight nearly as much, but, you know, but that, that can't help, but help. Right. I mean, you get, you get more, a more diverse group of leaders, you get a more diverse group of um, not only people running the company, but people on the board overseeing the company and, and hopefully the conversation doesn't die. And, and those people, um, you know, do have an ongoing voice in, in shaping how, you know, how things are done and run, um, you know, for, for, I mean, prior to the, you know, prior to the Hollywood thing that you brought up, Joanna, and prior to the George Floyd, there really wasn't a lot of talk about any of that. I mean, that I can recall, not in like a major way in the, in my career. I mean, and, and it is, so um, if nothing else, maybe, you know, getting more of the right people and more diverse people on will, you know, we'll keep that going, you know, to Tom's point. Is it going to just be a, you know, a moment and, and then it's gone or, or not. But, um, you know, I hope what, what I hope is that, you know, with any, with any event or events that happen, like, you know, the ones we were just discussing, um, there's obviously a lot of emotion and 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 energy around that topic when it happens and and hopefully after that energy and emotion begins to subside and it's not in the news every day hopefully at that point the the change can begin to happen in a more substantive way and it's not just the um you know it's not just the in you know the news of the day but it's starts to get down into things that can actually be be making making change and and progress i hope well and that that change and that introspection happens at the personal level at the individual level at the community level in relationship with others and then at the system level and whatever system you're in and i think um uh i think we all have a responsibility um because of our um because of who we are and our privilege to be able to um, make change um, in our relationships and in our organization so that um, so that people who have not where there has been racism or sexism, where we can work to exp to expunge that from the organization and from the world. I mean, I think we have a lot of work to do, but um, I think it it. Um, that's the kind of uh, world that I want to live in. So, gonna... I want to, and 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 I don't want to jump to this topic, Joanna and Tom. If if you have another more related topic, but uh, you know, you touched on a couple of things early on, Abigail, about 
the decision you made to transition to the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. And, and I would love to hear more about that transition and, you know, kind of walk us through your, your career story and how, you know, how you made that transition to the nonprofit world, because it sounds like it was a, a positive decision for you. And, um, but Joanne and Tom, you might have something more relevant before we, yeah, you that know, was, no, that, was, that was my questions as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I really am intrigued on that as well as that Abigail share kind of her, her perspective on, um, you know, the difference to being a leader in, within a um, OC, o, association type of organization. So I'm intrigued by that. Well, um, so the funny story around that. So I was um, working in a, a strategy, boutique strategy consulting firm. Um, Michael, who is now about to be 23, I think was about a year and a half old. You know what um, consulting is like and that life is, um, you know, long nights, lots of flights. Uh, I was on a, um, tell the story that I was on a plane, took one of those um, uh, stress tests, magazine stress tests, you know, <laughs> back of the seat in front of me. And my score was professional help immediately. <laughs> so a little burned out and uh, not feeling good about um, uh uh, was a little overstressed at the time. And so um, uh, even as the skills in consulting, I think, uh, carry a long way, it was time to get back to uh, to take a step back and reflect on um, what I wanted to do. And also, you know, I mean, Joanna may, um, a lot of women think have to think about this, and I hopefully men do too, but um, uh, you know, we wanted to have a second child and we weren't. And then two months after I left my consulting job, um, I was pregnant. So, um, you know, and uh, uh, William's now 20 and the greatest kid alive, uh, in my opinion. So um, we'll edit that out for the other child. <laughs> yeah, greatest younger son. Michael knows how great William is. They're both great. I love my kids. I'm so lucky. They've taught me a lot. They have really taught me a lot through all of this. In any case, I had started out my career in nonprofit. I um, uh, was well, prior a, to Darden, you were a nonprofit. Well, yeah, I um, I was a Middle Eastern history major. It won't take as long as this sounds. I was a Middle Eastern history major. Came out, to, came to Washington, was working for an organization that surveyed American foreign policy in the Middle East. Um, the choice at that point was activist or academic. Neither of those were right for me. I got great advice from an alumni. I went to Smith College and she said, you know, my husband's friend has a, you know, runs a consulting firm. Go talk to him. You'll get a lot of, um, you'll get introduced to a lot of different industries um, in consulting. And so I ended up working for that consulting firm for at least three years before business school and after a stint at um, what was Cooper's and Librand, um, <laughs> Joanna, and yep. uh, <laughs> um, went back to um, Kaiser Associates and had a great run working with a great CEO and chairman. So it was a great experience, but um, it, uh, it was too much and it wasn't, um, uh, 
Well, it was a, it was a great experience, but it was I was ready to. Um, was that healthcare healthcare focused consulting? Yes, some of it was. Yeah, yeah. and so um, so I was looking for um, getting back into the nonprofit world, and Washington D.C. was a great place. And I frankly didn't know very much about the association world, but there. Um, there are an aspect of the nonprofit world where a lot of important policy is made um, and uh, I think bring um, important professions and communities together. And I worked for the American Dental Education Association as the director of finance, uh, got hired in as the director of finance uh, way back when and ended up being the number two, um, worked there for a dozen years and then um had increasingly responsible positions there and then worked at um, the american institute of architects uh for seven and a half years with a great ceo and i've so the last 20 years i've worked with ceos visionary ceos and helped to transform organizations and it's been it's been great i uh the work at um, both ADEA and AIA from a perspective on um, building software in the cloud, business models, um, contract templates, digital transformation, culture overhaul, um, you know, fixing every part of the organizations and uh, building a great organization for the community and the members and the stakeholders has been has been fantastic it's been incredibly rewarding and um and well i'll just pause there so shifting into the nonprofit world i think um enabled me to have a little bit better um i'll use the phrase work-life balance and a fantastic um, leadership experience along the way so it's been it was a great choice and i did it because of you know, I was at a low point um, uh, because of stress in the, what consulting was requiring at the time, as well as what was going on in that organization. And it was a great decision from my perspective. How big are those or, you know, the, the nonprofits or the associations that you work for? How big are those company or those those organizations? you know, full-time staff. I mean, obviously there's lots of members. There's but... lots. I mean, most, most associations I think are in the uh, five to $10 million range um, mm -hmm. you know, with 20 to 40 employees. Um, when I started at Adia, it was a $7 million organization and we grew it to about $25 million. Mm -hmm. um, and AI and what is the mix of you know, employee functions in, in those businesses. I'm just not that familiar so, with them. Sure. So, and AIA just as a, you know, is one of the largest professional societies um, in the country. And um, I worked at AIA National and it was um, about $70 million and $80 million and about 220 employees. So, mm -hmm. um, and so what associations do is they advocate for their membership Sure. Um, obviously conferences, meetings, um, they bring the community together, uh, uh, um, and, uh, deliver education certification, um, and I think help to 
and for example, the American Institute of Archit Architects' two main priorities are equity, diversity, and inclusion, and building equitable communities and uh, sustainability. That architects sit at a place uh, in the economy on top of a you know um, a huge um, specification market uh, and can drive a more sustainable environment as well as build communities that are more just and more equitable. Um, so there's national and global policy that associations do. So, so you got some people working on policy, some people working on continuing education, mm -hmm. some people I assume working on membership and renewals and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then exactly. is that those, those three? What yes. are the, any? What would be the any other major functional areas? Development or fundraising? Fundraising, yep. right? Fundraising. Yep. And so out of the two hundred people, I mean, what are they about a quarter each? You know, fifty people per, or are they, or is one sort of bigger than the other ones typically? Membership. I mean, um, membership and conference and events is mm. tends to be um, the American Institute of Architects. Um, it's interesting. There are associations that uh, um, have um, software as a service. For example, uh, 140 years ago, American Institute of Architects developed seven templates for um, uh, contracts for construction, and now. Um, contract documents is the preeminent gold standard for legal agreements in the construction space. Mm -hmm. And we transitioned that through the 80s and 90s into a software as a service in the cloud. And then that was the business that we uh, found a private equity partner to help us um, take to the next level in terms of um, the software um, transformation mm -hmm. so some associations have uh, all of the health professions associations dentistry medicine um, veterinary medicine um, all have online application services so this is about workforce development and application of applying to those schools and you know and 30 years ago they were all on paper and now they transition to um, centralized application portals like we know our kids applying um, mm -hmm. to college. So these associations, they're uh, nonprofits uh, and they provide really important uh, services from a profession and an industry standpoint too. And then there's the whole world of the trade associations too, like mm -hmm. right. the National Association of Manufacturers and the National Association of Restaurants and things like that. So yeah. it's a it's a vibrant community, uh, and the work is really important because it makes a difference in in a wide range of industries. So, mm -hmm. and the executives in in those organizations, what's usually their background? Like the CEOs, you know, obviously you came out of consulting with a business school background, had been in nonprofits, and started in looks like sounded like through the finance arm. You know, what about the, the the other folks on the executive staff? Are they kind of homegrown or they've come uh, in from other industries? They tend to either come out of the profession. Mm -hmm. So the CEO that I worked with was an architect. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's always a balance between some the either a CEO who's um, a professional um, and who has 
great management capabilities and advocacy, um, understands how to operate on the Hill or has a great team. And then there's uh, the phrase we use is association executive. So these are general managers with a really broad set of skills um, to be able to manage the uh, functions and uh, business model of the association itself. So that would be someone like a nonprofit executive who's got, um, you know, a broad section of advocacy, government affairs, finance, operations, events, marketing meetings, et cetera. So right. I'm in more in that category rather than an architect who came to um, work at the, we have, and I think associations find the right balance of people within the staff about, you need, um, just like on any team, you need a combination of both, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was it, was it, was it, uh, was it uncommon for someone like yourself to have an MBA? Did that make you stand out or is that, is that pretty common? It actually, um, that's a great question because I think it was a differentiation for me. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that the nonprofit sector and associations as well really need are people with our skills and people with business skills um, that um, can help run the business like a business. I think in nonprofits, the challenge is the diffuse decision making authority, your ability, you have to be really good at bringing people together and making decisions on a consensus basis. Uh, and I think having skills relative to strategy and finance and marketing, I think, are really crucial for associations mm -hmm. and for all for all nonprofits, because whether or not you're driving value to shareholders, you're driving value back into the mission of the organization. You've got to drive value. Um, it's just whether or not where it's, you know, where where the end result is what the what the goal is. So, um, hmm. when you, how, how, how many years out of Darden, uh, was it when you made that switch to the, uh, to the, to the association world? Was it, I think it was six, about, eight, 10? I think it was about five or six years. Cause five I, or six I years out. was in Libran for two years and then back to Kaiser associates, uh, for another three years or so. So yeah, it was about five years afterwards, five or six years. Um, why do you think why, you know, having, having had that experience in the for-profit world, you know, in management consulting, and then, you know, and then most of your career, the bulk of your career in the nonprofit and association world, um, why do you think, you said something earlier that really intrigued me, and it was that nonprofits were a great career path for women in particular. Um, why, 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 why is that? And or what are the main differences? And why, and why do you think it is, you know, a better a better place for you know for women to, you know, to make a career? Uh, well. Um... It has certainly it's certainly been a great experience for me, and I think it's a great experience, not just for women, but I, I, for anyone, I hope. Um, but also, I think the um, I think historically um, nonprofits, because they haven't been able they do obviously don't compete um, uh, with private sector or they tend to be smaller. 
Um, and so they don't necessarily compete with corporate salaries, but so they've had, they've competed on the basis of benefits and work-life balance to use that phrase. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's the larger, there's the um, compensation, um, the non-financial compensation, although the, and the, but benefits from a healthcare and others standpoint and a, and a more flexibility. I think the nonprofit world has been more flexible about. Um, and I also think that for anyone that um, this is work, um, this is work uh, to make, I'm just gonna, uh, what's the way to say this? It's value. It's living your values in terms of trying to make the world a better place. I mean, it's it's. Um, I've worked in a healthcare association and uh, helping to have a more diverse pipeline of healthcare professionals and to have more. We worked hard on Obamacare, for example, in terms of our policy issues. And so um, I think um, working in a place that's contributing to um, your own, it's consistent with your own values is what I'm struggling mm -hmm, to say. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. as a person, some people are more inclined towards service, being of service, right? right? Um, just like people I would think are drawn to government work or politics, mm -hmm. right? It's a right. different type of DNA versus investment banking or mm -hmm. top tier management consulting, right? Right. Uh, and so um, I think they also tend to be smaller organizations. You can, I, I have always um, then, I've always wanted to be in the mix running an organization. Uh, and I could do that earlier in my career um, and have an impact, a bigger impact. Um, and so that was, I think I had those opportunities uh, um, earlier on, I think. And I think with an MBA, those skills are so, we need them in the nonprofit sector. Um, and so uh, I think as you were saying, Doug, that was um, about, um, you can really differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good, thank you, thank you. I wonder if I wonder if uh, women have um, uh, have been have, have have found themselves or are drawn to the nonprofit sector because it's flexible, or if the nonprofit sector um, is flexible because they've been staffed largely and run largely by women more so. Um, so that's one question that I just kind of ponder. And then, um, you know, now that the whole world just got two years of uh, living on a boat with your family shoved down their throat, um, I wonder to what extent, and realizing that, hey, we don't need to be in work every single day. Hey, we, we don't, you know, we can let people do some work from home and get and they can be reasonably productive and we can tolerate them dealing with their children and all that sort of thing. I wonder to what extent that is actually going to open up a lot more opportunities uh, for women across the board, just because we've all had to deal with, um, you know, making things make making it work right over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, I think um, I think the first part of what you were saying just there is I think that is true. I think nonprofits have had to be more flexible. Um, and um, I think um, I didn't look at these statistics, but it would be interesting. And I'm going to uh, I'll do that now. But the um, uh, you know, the percentage of women that are um, the, the demographics in the nonprofit executives it would be interesting to look at. And I'm sure your hypothesis is right that, um, you know, it takes um, that the nonprofit world has had to be to be more competitive, but it's also run by women largely. I know. And also like the HR, like the conversation we had with um, Martha, yeah. right? It's HR um, has also been predominantly. And, and I just, I think the, and I think what we have learned in the pandemic is that, that you have to focus on people. I think that's, that's what your resources, that's, it's the right thing to do. But or that, or that the being flexible doesn't cost that much. Right. Yeah. But well said. Yeah. We're using both sides of your brain. Yeah. And having that cortex actually going like multitasking, not that males can't do that, but like it's been proved, it's, there's can't lots of stuff coming across that like being able to pivot and, and manage it all is innate to women who are, have been working the whole time, you know, um, but I guess, you know, I'm really curious as we, are kind of rounding this up like you've talked about you're very specific around your what you want to do next and i'd like to hear a little bit more about that um and what are you doing to maybe take a pause and reflect upon not only the next job but what are you doing with your time off like there's such rare moments <laughs> like this and in an empty nest a time off for me oh would be gosh. like it's more work so for me because they want my time you know you got they're out of your nest i'd really like to hear great. that it's i went to jazz fest as you all know i think i went to jazz fest i had a blast um uh i have um you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, how vulnerable should I be here? Because I've done a lot of self-reflection. Um, I have done a lot of praying. Um, I have um, uh, done a lot of writing about what is important to me. Uh, and I've also done some caring for my elderly parents and um, uh, for some other people in my life that needed caring for. Um, and I have also taken care of myself. Um, I, I, you know, I've been to a, more concerts in the last, uh, more shows in the last two months. Of course, it's the music scene is always, always has, has come back. And thought about how I want to live the second half of my life um, or not that it's, I have less than the second half, I suppose, but um, I want to live and be the, the, next, the next part of my life and, uh, and wanting to make a difference in the part of the world that I take up. And, um, and so um, having this, uh, 
pause and having a break has been incredibly rejuvenating. Um, uh, and I think, I hope that, I, you know, when I do, uh, and I do plan to um, look for the next big thing that I'll take some of this um, uh, um, hopefulness and, uh, oh, it sounds so corny, uh, but serenity and uh, knowing who I am with me. And I was, I, um, at a personal level, um, despite um, what is happening in the world, but I do feel happier today than I have. Um, and I've felt pretty, I have, as I said, I have a tremendous amount of privilege in my life and um, very grateful for that. So, um, so that's what I've been spending my time doing, have, seeing the people that I love, spending time with them, doing things that are good for my soul. And I recommend it. I, I, it took a lot for me to leave my last organization and not have the next job. Um, yeah, that's a big step. Really, really, really hard. It would have been um, it's the first time in 20 years that I have taken more than two weeks off. That's, uh, isn't it amazing? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's hard. It's for me. And I, I need my friends and my husband to say it's going to be okay. Of course it is. You have to have faith and lean in on us. So, um, and I don't know if you tap into it, but Darden has a great course called Des uh, Designing Your Life. Mm. And it's facilitated by Marty. Um, I'm losing her. M Marty Spite. I think it's Marty Spite. Um, she's part of the career counseling. Um, it's a, It's just great. And also, Clarissa Colors is certified in it, so you could just do a, oh, a right. bridge an abridged version with her. I one phone call, Clarissa. So yeah, session, for cocktails and somewhere, and there you go. You're done. She'll design your life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've been the number two in my career, you know, working with great CEOs, and so this is time for me to take on the next. Um, a CEO role is really what I'm looking for. You want to go more towards the profit side. You want to kind of explore that yeah. versus nonprofit. Well, um, thinking about it in a nonprofit or an association is where um, where I can really make a difference. In well, whoever, who, wherever you land, your your next, you know, your your next um, opportunity, they. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to be wildly successful and the organization is going to be lucky to have you. The organization is going to be successful. And uh, I hope when that moment comes and you're ready to, um, I hope you find, uh, I hope you find what you're looking for. Thank you. I thank you. That's, um, and it's just great. I really appreciate you all reaching out. This has been a fantastic conversation and wonderful. Good great to see you, man. And yeah, good to see you. Great team. Thank you so much, Abigail. Great. Th thank you, Abigail, for your time and good luck to you.